Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, who doesn't like an inside run on some power and intrigue? You're about to get it from a bunch of ratbags who decided the feisty but ultimately self-serving and lucrative alliance between big media, the federal government and big tech to support local media and journalism was close enough to a farce. Smaller independent media have been sidelined and spiked by Facebook and Google's clever and in some cases duplicitous tactics. Even privately, big media executives admit The Indies have pretty much been shafted, but only after they, of course, got their gold. Federal Treasury is conducting a review as we speak on the impact of the media bargaining code. Yes, that's the one which triggered Facebook's overt and telling display of power to take down Australians' access to social media. Treasury's review comes as a scruffy alliance of small Australian media companies are staging a local and global campaign to give back some biff to big tech. And it seems to be working. Policymakers and bureaucrats here and abroad have noted the recent publishing boycott and campaign staged in Australia by an indie media alliance badged waiting on Zuck. Facebook, many of you might be surprised to learn, has been treating indie media arrogantly and dismissively after doing its deals with big media. Google's more of a mixed bag. It has been polite, but not necessarily helpful. So to get a fix on how the media nippers are swimming with big tech's sharks, the next year or so holds considerable implications for media diversity. We're joined by Broadsheet Media's publisher and director, Nick Shelton, Pro Pro Bono's Australian founder and CEO, Karen Maleb, AM, and Decade of Action managing partner, Ebony Gala. One of Ebony's partners is the very scruffy Adam Ferrier, as many of you may know. So welcome to you all. Um, this is going to be an interesting one. Um, let's let's start backwards, shall we? To to you first, Eb. You spearheaded this hashtag waiting for Zuck boycott that um, many of the media, uh, independent media uh, publishers have been on. For those uh, that are unaware, very quickly, what was the campaign? What was the objective? And how has it landed here and internationally? I think some of the conversations I've had had sort of people say, no doubt it's a really worthy effort, but possibly futile. Um, we'll talk through that in a second, but um, talk us through the through the campaign first and welcome. Sure. Thanks so much for having me, Paul. Uh, Waiting on Zuck was a campaign that brought together some 40 plus uh, indie publishers here in Australia to, as you say, f- uh, freeze their news feed for 24 hours. Instead, we asked them to replace their feed with the very simple message of, sorry, there's no news today because we're waiting on Zuck. The goal from our perspective was to create an opportunity for small and medium publishers to find their collective um, but very powerful voice and to share that voice with decision makers, in this case, Josh Frydenberg and Treasury, and let them know that the media code just hasn't gone far enough and we, we risk losing a really critical piece of our media landscape. 
Um, in terms of success, it, it, look, it, it's been hugely successful in my mind. We, we've been able to get not just participants but interest right across the country and, as you say, uh, around the world a little with New Zealand, UK, USA, Europe uh, showing some interest. Canada as well, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I should say, you know, Waiting on Zaki is just a first step. This is not a, a splash campaign. We're looking for systemic change on this really important issue. We'll wait and see what our big tech and uh, big media and big politic friends do uh, in response to this first step and figure out our next move. But just um, just going to the international uh, sort of initiative or the impact, I should say, um, first up, um, Eb, is that part of this was also is to get some movement and, and some change happening in the Australian market, but also to put a marker down so that um, international markets, other, other governments and other regulatory uh, initiatives don't repeat some of the mistakes or make sure that we that, that you keep uh, big tech on its toes in other markets, which is probably a little bit, you know, not what they want. Definitely. And I think that's where they're the resistance of Facebook and Google is coming from. You know, in some ways to sign a deal with a small indie publisher in Australia is absolutely no skin off their nose, but it sets a precedent for what might happen globally. So they really, you know, to put it bluntly, don't give a rat's about the deals they might be making here. They just don't want to be doing that 100-fold right across the globe. And this is your cunning plan, right? This is your cunning plan to make them sort of feel that. I'd love to say it's just mine, but it's certainly not that. You know, we've had these amazing people working with us, Karen and Nick and, and others, um, but it, it's seeing this as multiple pressure points that we can apply to tech and to governments. Policy only takes mm. us so far, and we've seen policy is built in some ways to fail, right? We don't often think about the unintended consequences of it. We've seen the unintended consequences of it here in Australia, and we wanted to shout that from the rooftops so that absolutely we can build global momentum uh, and secure the future of independent journalism. Well, great. And we, we have started at the end point. Um, we're about to go to the start point now with um, Karen and Nick as to sort of what is going on. Um, to both of you, Waiting on Zuck was born out of a much bigger battle going on between tech, media, government and regulators, right? It's resulted in maybe 200 million, a bit more, uh, annually going to some of the bigger media players and a selection of some of the smaller Australian publishers like Mamma Mia, um, Anthony Catalano's ACM, Eric Beach's private media, and Schwartz Media are sort of some of the some of them that are in that fold that have had a bit of a handout in that early round of funding from big tech. But most of the smaller, more diverse players have been spiked. Um, Nick, you're a little cranky for good reason, it seems. Um, give us your take. Thanks for having me, Paul. Uh, yeah, we are a little cranky. Um, I think it's important to say up front that that I and, and, and Broadsheet and I think many other publishers are a big fan of the code. Um, and the policy behind it. We think that having 200 plus million dollars in the media ecosystem transferred from Google and Facebook is just a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I think Frydenberg and uh, Rod Sims should be you know, very proud of that. And, and I know they are. However, uh, the job's not done until everyone who's eligible is uh, in a position to do a deal. And because the platforms haven't been designated under the legislation, um, and the legislation is acting as a sort of sword of Democles, Google and Facebook are now in a position to determine or, or, or they're having a crack at how far do we have to go before the government won't designate us. And they've made a, you know, clearly they're, 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 they've got two different perspectives and, and Facebook's not as good as... Hey, Nick, we should just for the, for the, for the listener, we should explain what uh, designation means. So they are avoiding... They, so basically the, Facebook and Google are trying to avoid to be avoiding being designated by the federal government at all costs because that means they will have to do what? Can I just add that um, 
the point that the code is up for review now and submissions are being made is really important in the context. The timing of it, Karen? Yeah. So the legislation exists and it's been passed and it's a law. However, it doesn't apply to anyone. So the Facebook and Google are, are outside of this, this code. If they are designated under the code, it means that they will be obliged to negotiate with eligible news publishers. And those publishers are deemed eligible by um, an application and registration with uh, ACMA, the Australian Communications and Media Authority. And if they don't come to a deal, there's an arbitration mechanism. So they really, really don't want to be designated because that will force them into arbitration and who knows how much they'll have to pay to worry about that. And they'll have to be told what to do. Absolutely. So they want to exist outside the code and stay outside the code. And I think that's been a a neat trick that the the Treasurer and HRBC have, have pulled. But they've made a determination and they've made a sort of assumption that they don't have to get right the way down the list of eligible publishers. They can stop at, you know, a handful of independents, very, very newsy, newsy independents, some of the big guys, and then enough's enough. The unintended consequence there is that everyone who's left out of the code, including pro bono and broadsheet and many other sort of small independents, are now playing at an unlevel playing field. So The Guardian, Schwartz, Junkie, Solstice, Nine, News, Seven, ABC, we compete with those guys every single day. We compete them for audience. We compete with them for marketing attention. We compete with them for advertising dollars. Uh, they now have millions of dollars to compete with us that we don't have. And in fact, are in some cases are taking on you know your your rich your central ter- territory of what you where you where you cover. That's right. They say we we have another ten, twenty, thirty million dollars to spend. Let's go take on broadsheet. Right. You know they're doing pretty well. They're getting a good share of market. Let's uh, let's go gobble them up. Right. You know, and it's not just broadsheet. It's it's, it's all the independents. So we're not going to see this happen today or tomorrow. But over the next two to three years, we're going to see the cost of operating increase and the independents just not able to compete at the same level. So it's, it's really nothing less than the future of independent publishing and media in Australia. Well put, Nick. Um, Karen, you did mention just earlier about the, the timing of, the, of this Treasury review to the media, uh, the media bargaining code. Um, but also the bigger picture here, Karen, what we're talking about is the, the reason why a lot of this, reason why this has all happened, why, the, why the, the, the big tech have come to the party is the federal government and the HLC decided that there needs to be some sustainability for the future of journalism full stop and public interest journalism. So I guess like Nick, you would agree uh, that that is at threat with the way that the current uh, deals have been uh, worked out. I think that the current government and the ACCC were very brave in doing this mandatory bargaining code, and it's a start, um, and it's a it's a global first, and we should give them credit for that. So I'd like to say that first, um, the fact that the deals, all the deals, as Nick has said, are being made outside the code. Um, have been made with the bigger publishers and have left all the smaller publishers out um, speaks to the mechanisms that the code hasn't considered because the um, or they that code has considered it but because Facebook and Google have not been designated under the code they're not forced to deal with a whole range of public interest journalists um, journalism organizations. Um, and the mandatory bargaining code was set up to support sustainable public interest journalism in Australia. So my take is that smaller publishers have been excluded from the deals made and that indie publishers, as you call them, represent 
a huge diversity of issues, sectors and voices in Australia and contribute enormously to public interest journalism in Australia. So, for example, Pro Bono Australia itself is unique in that it's the only real voice for the community sector and civil society organisations in Australia. And say if we disappeared, the voice of our sector would disappear. And I think you say, Karen, you say one in 10 Australia or one in 10 people work for a yeah, community organisation. Yeah, one in 10 Australians right? work for a not-for-profit in Australia. It's a sector that is absolutely enormous and we give voice to it, to its issues, to its happenings, to its discussions. So it's of great concern to me personally, but also to every other niche publisher who gives this voice to public interest issues that we survive. And what's happened to date with the bargaining code has benefited the big media players, but not the small publishers like us, who I think are fundamental to the richness of our democracy and its diversity. Now, it's not without trying right so nick and 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 karen and a bunch of other publishers have been attempting to um negotiate some 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 uh, alliances or sorry arrangements with um with facebook and google uh to date um they've been quite recalcitrant and you know as i mentioned in the setup sort of almost arrogant surprising facebook is arrogant i can't believe that that's sort of out of the character but but nick just give us a couple of examples first uh from you on on uh, your attempts to negotiate with these with these big players and and how you've how, how it's panned out. Yeah, they're each a little bit different, but the the outcome is the same. So Facebook are much more closed. They are we're done. Doors are closed. Shops closed. Go away. Don't talk to us. Don't bother emailing us because you're not going to get a response. Just just leave us alone. We're being very clear. We're not doing any more deals because they've done the big media. They've done the big media deals, and they've done. An, so we should, be, for, for clarity and, and, and context here, they've done their big media deals. And Facebook is essentially, you know, what I uh, perceive to be, and you'll you'll um, you correct this, but what perceives to be a, a great piece of, um, if you like, greenwashing using the Walkley Foundation to give fifteen million dollars. I think it's fifteen million over three years to a bunch of small media companies to to for grant and a grants uh, purpose. That's where Facebook's gone, we've done out, we've washed our hands, we've done the good bit, done big media, done little media, rack off, leave us alone. That's essentially where we're at. That, that's essentially, exactly. So yeah, they said, we're not doing any more deals, but what we do have is a shiny grants program over here and Nick and Broadsheet and, and Pro Bono and the rest, you should, you should apply for this grant program because it's gonna be, it's gonna solve all your problems. So of course we apply for the grant program. They abdicate all responsibility in selecting who's, um, who's selected for that. To the Walkley Foundation. To the Walkley Foundation. Uh, and we put in enormous amount of efforts. We consult, we, we um, discussed our, our applications and our submissions with Facebook. They gave us feedback on it, went to the Walkleys. Sorry, guys, um, not enough. Uh, you get nothing. So I, I believe it was just a bit of, as you say, sort of almost greenwashing, just uh, you know, buy some time, look what we've done, aren't we good corporate citizens, but otherwise leave us alone. Google, on the other hand, have been different. They've been much more, quote unquote, engaged. Uh, they will respond to an email on a phone call and they'll do it with smiles and they'll say, oh, of course, we'd love to work with you guys. Oh, absolutely. Yes, we've got wonderful products and we, we're really proud of the investments we're making in media and for journalism. But then they, these things don't get anywhere. You just go around and around in circles. They give you a lowball offer that's totally uncommercial. The, the offer they've made to us um, uh, wouldn't even cover its costs to, to deliver what they've asked for it, um, which is uh, sort of, as an aside, totally beside the point. The point of this code was to provide value to publishers for content we were already producing that they were benefiting from. 
So they've they've sort of made this lowball offer, and they sort of take your time, and they'll answer every phone call, and they can they can say to their you know liaisons in government and and ACCC, we're doing our best. We've come to you know we try to work with someone like Broadsheet, but they're just not accepting our deal. But the point is, we have no leverage without the code, without designation. There's no leverage for us to do anything other than jump up and down. Karen, your experience with uh, both Facebook and Google, uh, both at pro, pro Bono and as you represent a, a broader collective of, of publishers and, and public interest uh, journalism, uh, is your experience being the same? Slightly different. Just going back to what Nick said about Facebook setting up this 15 million um, that is now being... Slush fund, we could call it. It's really a grants program, actually. And it's a very competitive grants program that the Walkley decided in their wisdom to take up the running of that program. And they set up um, arm's length agreements with Facebook so that Facebook gave them the money, but the Walkley Foundation decided who the judges were going to be and that the process um, was a competitive process where I think there was over 160 people who applied and about 53 people got funds. And I have to declare Pro Bono Australia was one of those. The thing is that um, those big 20 publishers who got $200 million in funding didn't have to go through a competitive grants program to get their funding. And yet Facebook is making a huge amount of small publishers go through the hoops of a selective granting process before they give small publishers the money. There's a significantly different playing field that has been set up by um, Facebook for small publishers versus the big publishers. The optics, though, there, Karen, it does look then, you know, on the outside, you could you could you could look at it and say, oh, well, Facebook's doing its bit for small, indie, independent, public interest publishers, right? You could, with the Walkley Foundation, there's a lot of credibility there with the Walkleys. If the small publishers collectively give millions of pages and articles of content to Facebook in the way that the big publishers do. So why aren't they being recognised in the same way? Um, but even it being like a competitive that. grants initiative is what's stuffed up about this. That's how the not-for-profit sector runs and that's how it loses money and is not sustainable in how it's implemented. The amount of effort these guys have to put in to even submit a grant costs the business money. Then that money uh-huh. is tied to very specific activities and services that don't serve the, the sustainability of Broadsheet or pro, pro Bono. They serve the headline that Facebook or Walkleys get to push out the door. So this is, this is headline-grabbing stuff. It doesn't serve the sustainability of this industry at all. And if you talk to Nick about the effort the Broadsheet went to put in that submission to, um, to Walkleys, it was very significant. And yet, despite what um, they'd been told, they missed out. So that's one neck of the woods, the competitive. And, you know, lots of corporates these do, days do extensive granting programs to not-for-profit organisations or to whatever organisations they want to, but um, they're competitive granting projects. They're not for value given. It's very different to a commercially negotiated. Very. Right. So the other aspect that I've been involved with has been um, – Uh, a collective bargaining group that was approved by the ACCC much the same way as the Country Press Association was approved as a collective bargaining group to negotiate. We were approved by the ACCC to negotiate with Facebook and Google. So uh, there's about 23 publishers that came together 
and it's been led by um, uh, a negotiator called Emma McDonald, who works, who's done a terrific job. She works actually for Mindaroo. Right, which is which is. Twiggy Forest's uh, philanthropic sort of uh, entity, right? Australia's richest man for any audience that doesn't know the man, which you'd be living in a cave if you don't. But take your point, um, Karen, um, some good work being done there by by Mindaroo. There is some good work being done by Mindaroo. And Emma has done a terrific job in um, corralling, along with some other lead publishers in the Pippa Group, Public Interest Publishers Alliance, um, to form this group of 23 smaller organi- publisher or publishers to negotiate with Google and Facebook. And to date, um, we have had no joy with Facebook um, and we are having some joy with Google. With um, Nothing is finalised yet, um, but we're seeing some light on that front. So you think there will be, with Google at least, you think you'll get to some sort of um, deal? I hope so. It certainly seems so. Um, as Nick said, they're much easier to deal with, much more accessible and open. Um, but I also feel like this campaign that Decade of Action did um, was good to push Google um, towards the negotiating table. Right. I think a little bit of pressure is not a bad thing. And so this this uh, collective bargaining deal uh, with Google that you're talking about, um, that will see some sort of pot of money come from Google that will be distributed, however, to, to publishers or there's a, 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 a way in which it will go to individuals? It will be distributed to publishers. Right. Most of the publishers in that group were registered as public interest journalism publishers on the ACMA register. Right, okay. And if we could, you know, I know you you won't tell me, Karen, but I'm going to put it out there and have a crack anyway, which if, if you think Google could be looking at annually, what, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 million a year for the, for the, for the publishers? What's a, Nice what's a, try, but I can't quite get you there yet. Well, let me try again. If I was to have a hunch, if I was to have a hunch, would I be waywardly wrong saying $10 million a year? Well, a little bit wrong, but... Okay, higher, do you think? Probably not higher. Okay. Hoping um, over a period of years, though, it will it will add up. It's quite exciting, really, because seriously, for smaller publishers like me, it will make a big difference to our digital um, transformation. Mm. What will you do with the money, by the way, Karen? We're on track to be setting up a um, subscriber model, but we also want to become more mobile friendly. You know, we want to become a very accessible website for people who can't see, can't hear, all of that type of transformation we want to do. Okay. Nick, are you part of this collective bargaining uh, alliance with Google? Uh, no, we're not. We're um, we're discussing our, our potential deals one-on-one. Is this be, you think you can do better on your own? Well, it was more of a matter of the, the types of publishers that were joining the Pippa Alliance, um, and they're terrific, but they're, they're, for the most part, much smaller than we are. Um, so we think that the type of deal that was going to sort of uh, form uh, something for those guys was probably not what would suit us. So we thought we wanted to go direct. And and, and Broadsheet is, I think you we were talking earlier, um, Broadsheet sort of sits in, sort of just behind Mamma Mia in size in terms of sort of that independent media publishing sort of size? We, we would say that we're the, the second largest independent um, publisher behind Mamma Mia, both in terms of revenue and audience. Okay. And what's your revenues then or your revenue range? Uh, it's healthy. Good answer. 
For publishers and people into journalism, you don't give a lot away like bloody everybody else. Thanks very much. I will try. I did try. So, sorry, you, you did talk earlier, Nick, about, you know, Google being having more smiles and friendlier than Facebook. Um, now, Karen's sort of hoping and thinks that they're going to get to somewhere uh, on this um, collective bargaining agreement. Do you think you're going to get somewhere with Google and are you going to get what you want or do you need them to be designated to get what you want? Look, I'm not sure yet. I'm, I'm, I remain hopeful. I remain hopeful that we don't need to go to the length of designation in this period. I, th I think the sustainability and ongoing nature of these relationships is a really uh, sticky, interesting question, which designation might be required. But in the short term, I'm hoping that we don't need to stand up and advocate for designation. I just think um, that Google are going to have to recognize that uh, publishers like Broadsheet um, and the Pippa Group are legitimate and uh, it needs to happen. Now, whether the, the government and the Treasury can apply pressure to them and say, um, you know, this sort of Democles is, is hanging, so um, best get moving. Uh, in the announcement of the review, they do call out, um, you know, the, the federal government is aware that many small publishers are uh, not been in a position to receive deals, so we'd like to look at that. So no doubt that will come up in the review, which um, I'm sure all the small publishers will be participating in. Right, and let's get to that. Um, Karen, what is so interesting and important about the current Treasury review of the Media Bargaining Code? What, you said it earlier. Why is it critical? Well, it's an opportunity to criticise the code that's been set up and to point out its flaws. So um, as Nick said, the deals have all been done outside the code. We've got not code. We've got no transparency about the substance of the deals made. You know, the 200 million that's been estimated um, has just been kind of people cobbling figures together of talks done behind the scenes. Um, so there's a number of different issues that we think needs to be addressed in the nature of the code and in the nature of what's happened since the code. As, code, as Eb said, policy is not perfect and um, we want small publishers to be given an easier ride in with the negotiations. And, you know, those negotiations to support public interest journalism might not just apply to Facebook and Google in the future. There might be other platforms who are likewise using the content of media organisations on their platforms for free where media organisations are paying. So this is a discussion that goes way into the future as well. So comments like that and an understanding of how the codes work to date, it's really important that publishers put in submissions. Timing on this, Karen, also when uh, close, it closes early May, I think, the submissions, and then yeah. and then what do you expect to happen uh, after that? What is What could happen? What should happen? So the submissions close May the 6th, and it's been, um, I think, the report back, the report is September this year. Right. What happens, there's an election in between. I think the process is a, is one of the ACCC, so it will keep going. Um, but we'll we'll see. Are you are you of the sense, all of you, of the sense that, that Labor is um, aligned on uh, sort of prosecuting this this sort of agenda as strongly as the coalition government has been, or what, do you, what will happen? Will it all fall over because Labor will go? That's 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 shit. We don't know Labor's position on this yet. Um, we are we are talking, um, have started commencing discussions with 
the opposition. I think the thing is that it's um, not popular for anyone to go hard on this. You know, there's been enough done with a code and everybody enjoys publicly disliking big tech, but it's not going to be a popular move for anyone to designate or go harder. So we're trying to make that as easy as possible to uh, get the structures in place to help us go harder. We're going to get to, we'll wrap this up shortly with what's next. Um, but Nick, I do want to get to um, your your take really on why this actually does matter to um, the media and advertising and marketing and brand world, right? Because we're starting to talk about media diversity and as much as uh, advertisers and agencies may not so, so be so pure about um, the need for diversity and in public interest journalism, they do... Uh, need to have diversity in their negotiating with, who, with with publishers and they need audiences, right? So um, I guess the, the question for you is, how are you tracking as a larger media uh, independent um, that is healthy revenues? Let's say that must be upwards of 10 million, I'd assume then, Nick, if that's the case, healthy sounds like 10 million plus to me. But um, if, if, if the market, the market side, the buy side, um, why should they be? Why should they give a shit about this whole notion? Why is it important to them? You can try and get some on the record, but none of them like Facebook or Google either, because they have the the same situation where they've got to negotiate. So everything happens on Facebook's terms and on Google's terms. Um, they don't have a diversity of, um, uh, or, or they want a diversity of contextual areas, uh, audience types, demographics, psychographics. They want to be able to build campaigns and, and, and reach audiences in all kinds of interesting different places. And it's, it's healthy if it's healthy for their industry, if the publishing and media industry is healthy too. If, if it's a duopoly and they get to make up all the rules, you know, that's bad for everyone. Do you think they, do you have conversations with them? Do they get that or are they sort of going, oh, right, yeah, that's, that's a point? They, they do get that, especially at the senior level. Right. Um, the, the senior levels, they're, they're very aware of the precarious situation they have when they are really only positioned to, to negotiate with the with the two big platforms. Speaking of senior levels, what do you get from from your big media rivals, the executives there? I talk to them too and there's there is empathy for the for the cause and understanding that yeah they've done all right, but maybe, you know, it's been sort of a one way street. Do you get that too? Are you getting having conversations with, with your bigger media rivals? What do they say to you? Absolutely. Um, I think there is a recognition of how successful the code has been for their businesses. And uh, you know it, Reputation aside, these media businesses like having a diversity of, of ecosystem. Um, they 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 like having the broadsheet. I think I think they look at a broadsheet and they say this is a twelve year old independent um, entrepreneurial led company. Good for you. Um, you know we'd we'd hate to see uh, a, a broadsheet or a pro bono or, or a, a, you know another publisher like that disappear. Yeah. So so that, yeah they're 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 out and they it's it's certainly got a lot of notice this campaign Wei Yan Zuck. Um, I've had all kinds of interesting conversations from. Uh, senior media, um, senior politics, senior policy. Um, so it's getting noticed and, and the support's definitely there from them. Well, I do want to ask you before we just do this wrap up is that, uh, you know, when you're having the conversations pre-EBS campaign and pre-the Zuck campaign versus post, you're getting more people taking your calls, getting more people going, ah, right, there's, there's something more, there's momentum built as a result of this. Is that right? You're getting the corridors of power. I think so. When you'd have a conversation like that prior, uh, you know, in the early days, you'd point out the competitive disadvantage. Uh, that this is created. And I go, ah, shit, that's a good point. That's really interesting. <laughs> right, right. Um, and now through the sort of work we've been doing to bring attention to this issue, that's, you know, table stakes. Everyone understands that now. So the next question is, what do we do about it? I think 
the question beyond this, the sort of more medium long-term question is what's the sustainability of the value exchange between platforms and publishers? Because compared to Facebook and Google, we're all minnows. You know, it doesn't matter if you're the News Corp, you're Nine or you're Seven, you're ABC, we're tiny compared to these guys. The deals are between three and five years, depending on the publisher. Rocking up with your handout to Facebook and Google every three years is not a way to run a sustainable business, no matter what your size. So there's going to need to be, now that we've sort of got over and over this first hurdle, need to be an established, ongoing, sustainable way for these platforms to transfer the enormous power and value that they are amassing back into media. Got it. Karen, um, your take on this because, well, let me just ask you and Ed, very quickly on media diversity in relation to why, why brands, advertisers, agencies should care because there is the, the more pure notion of just, you know, public interest and keeping, keeping society sort of informed um, and impartially informed. But equally, um, you know, for brands, they need audiences and they should have diverse audiences. Do you, do you have a view on that sort of like Nick, both of you? Either of you? It's interesting. There's a new organisation that Tim Duggan set up called the um, Digital Publishers Association. Nick's on the board. And for the first time, it pulled. it's pulling together a whole lot of small publishers, um, digital publishers, and we were all having this conversation at a conference that we had in Sydney a couple of weeks ago. And um, there is a sense that um, if we can organise advertisers in a way that advertisers might find it um, easier to get to the diverse forces that we represent, that that would be a very good thing. And it would be Mm. a very good thing for all of our businesses. And I think for the advertising industry, which can be a very blunt instrument in time in terms of buying, um, you know, a share of market voice. Um, So I think um, the collective, the sense of the collective pulling together of smaller publishers is going to be very powerful in future, not just through DPA, but it's being represented with this collective bargaining. Let it rip, basically. Yeah, let's make it happen. Eb, do you have any thoughts on the diversity thing before we wrap up? Yeah, I think that brands, to be able to get cut through now and into the future, need to be able to reach people through the emotion, through their sense of social identity, which is exactly what small and medium publishers bring to the table. These are the publishers that help all individuals feel seen and heard based on how they belong in various parts of the community. And so Nick's right, you know, advertisers and brands are at the mercy of Facebook and Google at the moment, and there's a hell of a lot of white noise for them to get those big numbers in terms of hit and reach. And, you know, this industry is vital in terms of cut through. And that's, I think, what they'll be missing out on if we don't get this sorted. We are super running out of time, but I cannot help myself. Karen, you, uh, you know, post the what we've got now, the Treasury review on the media bargaining code. I mean, we talked about it earlier. You think there's actually once we get through this, but there is a bigger solution to what all of this that needs to go beyond what we've got now. Do you want to tease us with just some thoughts of what could or should be? Well, I think it speaks to exactly what Eb said. It's that. Um People are connecting with who they are, with their purpose, with their sense of identity, with their place in the world, with their local environment. We saw how important that became through COVID. So individual and diverse voices and who um, uh, advertisers want their um, to sell to um, is important. And I think there must be a mechanism 
to um, have more sophistication around that than there is at the moment because for someone like Pro Bono Australia who really is the preeminent media organisation in civil society at, um, for civil society organisations, we find it so hard to get into agencies and yet we've got, you know, a three million strong reach a, a year. There has mm. to be another way. You agree with that, Nick? I mean, you, 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 you probably don't have as much difficulty. I asked this earlier. You're, you're in with the big end of town and doing quite well with big brands and big agencies. Your perspective? Yeah, I mean, my perspective is where we're as broadsheet on the right side of the, you know, too small to deal with. Um, we, we are big enough to deal with and we, we have a, a perspective. But I think the more powerful Facebook and Google get and then because if, if we don't rebalance this issue, Broadsheet's going to be able to, you know, we're going to, we're going to be outperformed when it comes to improving our technology or improving our marketing or improving what we can do. So we're just going to get softer and weaker um, in comparison to those funded organizations. And that re- it becomes this sort of cycle, this sort of negative flywheel, where um, if we get weaker, we're going to be able to deliver for our advertisers less effectively. Um, and so that can be a problem ongoing. Okay, wrap this up. Um, final thoughts, Eb, you know, we've got waiting on Zuck. What, what is part of the next sort of the lobbying and pressure campaign, I guess, and, and, and when? Well, first we pause and we celebrate and pat ourselves on the back because, you know, the, the team have done a phenomenal job. We've gotten the attention of a really bloody broad group of people around this. So it wasn't futile, right? I did say a little bit cheekily up front it was futile. It's not. Futile was a little not. harsh. Yeah, no. Well, I think, Sorry. you know, with, with every social and environmental issue that DOA works on, you, that could be said, but we genuinely believe we can drive change on this. So may we see, you know, the results of the review of the code, very important moment to see what's going to happen from there. Uh, I think Nick's right. We've got a bunch of uh, big end of town who'll be reviewing deals in three to five years and they won't be walking in with the same power they've had in this first round. Uh, so we, we've got a couple of time horizons that we think we're working towards to rally support, not just from publishers, but but other parts of the sector. So I think this year's going to be big and fun and stay tuned. Final thoughts from Nick and Karen and we'll wrap this up. Um, Karen. We need to keep going on the focus on public interest journalism and how it's represented by the diverse smaller publishers and make sure that that's sustained in Australia. Um, We know how many smaller publishers are falling by the wayside, especially during COVID, and we need to make sure they're supported into the future. Nick Shelton, final thoughts? The code is a terrific thing. Having money being poured into or transferred from the the platforms into the publishers in the media sector is good for the uh, health of the media. That's the health of democracy. That is to the benefit of all Australians. Uh, Of course, there are going to be bumps and um, niggles along the way, and we're working to sort those out for the uh, small independent publishers so that it is a complete success instead of a partial success. Uh, And then we hope to see that this is a precedent for the rest of the world Um, and and there's a rebalancing of of power and influence between the platforms and the global media sector. Great stuff. Karen Maleb AM, Ebony Gaylett, Nick Shelton. Fantastic conversation. Um, Sort of brave, uh, timely, critical... Uh, and uh, courageous and we need to see more of it. So, um, look, keep up the good work and I hope we sort of loop around in a few more months and have have another conversation about where it's all gone. Stay safe and uh, we'll talk. Thanks, Paul. This MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.